close to an ending here uh, as we have 15 and then 16 and we will have made it all the way through Romans a bit quicker than we did Matthew but oh well Romans chapter 15 verses 1 through 13 this is the word of the Lord we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples extol him. And again Isaiah said, the root of Jesse will come, even he who who arises to rule the Gentiles. To him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We have come to another text about the church. Not the building, but the body. Uh, Paul is kind of ramping down his exhortation to the church and how we're to live with one another. And he's been teaching us what the church is to look like. We have seen that we are called to consider one another, that we're called to peace in the church. But we have to remember, even in this, how important the church is. And if we're to look at Scripture and say, what does Scripture say the church is? We see many ways that it's described. It is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. It is made up of those whom Christ has died for. This is who the church is. The church is you. The church is me. The church is our family. And I think that we fail on a daily basis to fully grasp what the church is. What the church is meant to be. You are those who are called to take care of one another. You are those who are called to look out for one another. You are those who have been called to seek joy in each other and peace in each other. And there, I think there's times where we excel at this. My family recently got to experience that as Luann hurt her foot and Neil showed up at our door and we felt the church taking care of our needs. 
And it's an amazing thing when that happens. And yet other times, we fail miserably. And we begin to fight with one another. And we begin to backbite and we talk about one another. Did you hear what Luann said? I can't believe she said that. She did though, yeah. <laughs> we don't live at peace. We live at odds with one another. We're, we're, we live in contention with one another. And the church fails to be what God has called it to be. But the church must be. It has to be what it's supposed to be. Paul is continuing his exhortation to the strong and weak. And he's going to broaden that a little bit. But he says, you strong and, and you weak. What are you to strive to do? You're not to please yourself. Your goal is not self-gratification. Your goal is to please the person sitting next to you. That's what you're supposed to be doing. You cannot live the Christian life selfishly. You cannot look at your Christian liberty that says, I can eat and drink and I'm fine and abuse that. Strong, you please others. Follow the example of Lord, your Lord Jesus. The one who put himself before others. The one who bore the reproach of God upon himself. Follow Christ's example of loving service. Seek to bring unity into the church. Receive one another is what he's going to tell us. Why? Because Christ has received you. Christ has brought blessing both to the strong and to the weak, to the Jew and to the Gentile. And this is not, he's going to use this comparison here, but it's not a one-to-one -one comparison. He's not saying the Jew is the weak and the strong is the Gentile or vice versa. He's saying there are strong and weak amongst the Jews and there are strong and weak amongst the Gentiles, but you all have to live in peace and unity together. So what does Paul have for us here and for them in our text? We're going to see three things. First, we're going to see that we have hope in Christ. Second, we're going to see that we have hope in the word. And third, we're going to see that we have a hope that is for all people. Hope in Christ, hope in the word, and a hope that is for all people. Paul's opening statement at the beginning of 15.1 is kind of a shift. He has been speaking to the strong and weak, and he's going to continue to do that. But he doesn't, he starts to change his language here. He's been saying uh, over and over again, you, you, you. It's the second person plural, you, not just uh, or no, singular you, excuse me. So he's saying you specifically. It's not the general you, it's you specifically. But now he shifts to the first person plural, we. He's including himself in that. We who are strong have an obligation. He says, I, I consider myself among the strong. There immediately we'll see that this Jew-Gentile thing is not an immediate separation. He's saying, I'm a Jew, but I consider myself among the strong. Those who are strong in respect to their faith, who believe that certain practices are legitimate for believers, even if they shouldn't be doing them. But there remains also the weak, those who are incapable of seeing that they have been freed from the Old Testament law. 
that they've been freed from the ritual observances, the strong then are obliged to bear the weakness, as it were, of the weak. He, he says here to bear the failings of the weak. He says, look, I understand. And he said this to us last week and the week before. I understand that they're not doing something that would be okay for them to do. But because they think it's wrong, they shouldn't do it. And we are to bear with them in this. Their faith has freed them, but they're not seeing it. And we're to bear one another's burdens. And as we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. Let us please, let each of us, excuse me, please his neighbor for his good. Neighbor here, if we just leave it on its own, seems out of context. He's been talking about the strong and weak. He's going to go on to talk about Jew and Gentile. But here he specifically uses the word neighbor. In talking about those who are in the church, in talking about those who are weaker in their, in their faith, he calls them neighbor. And Paul does this for a very specific purpose. Because he has called us to love our neighbor. He says, those in the church who may not believe exactly the way you believe, they are your neighbor. And you are to seek the good of your neighbor, to build up your neighbor. We are to be sympathetic to their struggle. We're to refrain from criticizing and judging them. We are to do love towards them. This is true for the believers in Rome, which Paul is talking to, but it's no less true for us today. It doesn't matter whether we consider ourselves strong or weak or we look at someone else and we go, well, I'm strong and they're weak. It doesn't matter where to look and seek the good of each other. And we do this because it's central to the gospel. Master, teacher, what is the greatest of the commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second to this, love your neighbor as yourself. This is a summation of all the law and prophets. The first four and a half commandments, I think the five, fifth commandment's a bridge commandment. The first four slash five commandments are all about how we treat God. And the fifth through tenth commandment are all about how we love our neighbor. The purpose is to seek the good. Please his neighbor for his good. It should be for their benefit, not for their destruction. Love your neighbor. We are to edify. We are to build up the church. And let me be clear. It's not pleasing people over pleasing God. It's the pleasing of others instead of the pleasing of ourselves. That's what it's about. It's about giving up what is important to you for the sake of someone else. And why? Why can Paul make this claim? Why can Paul say, hey, look, you are completely justified in eating that meat that may or may not have been sacrificed to idols. You are completely justified in it, and there is no sin when you do it. 
But I want you to be careful and maybe even give that up, even though it's right for you to do, for the sake of your brother. And he's going to give us the answer of why. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul's quoting here from Psalm 69. He's applying this to Christ. The reproaches of those who reproached you, that is God there, fell on me, that is Christ. The reproaches that were meant to go to God fell on Christ. The insults directed to God fell on Christ. And Paul is doing several things here. He is pointing to scripture to show us that the sufferings of Christ were ordained by God and in his service. And that Jesus, in his life and death and resurrection, has become the ultimate example for us. Think of the reproach he suffered at the crucifixion, the mockery, the beatings, all of it. And he very well could have removed all of it. Christossom is uh, quoted as saying this. He had power not to have been reproached. Power not to have suffered what he did suffer. Had he been minded to look to his own things. If Jesus so desired, he could have been done. When they mocked him and said, why don't you call down your legions of angels? He could have done that. He had the power to do that. He could have said, hey, come on, attend to me. Lift me off the cross. Bind up my wounds. Heal me. Make me new. I'm out of here. He had the power to do that. That was within his control, and he didn't. Occasionally abstaining from things that have no bearing on the Christian life is nothing compared with that. You are permitted to drink alcohol, but abstaining from doing so is nothing compared to what Christ abstained from for the sake of your salvation on the cross. He bore the, our reproach. He broke, bore the reproach that was directed at God. How do you look out for your, the good of your neighbor? How do you build someone up, even giving up the things that you wish to do? You do so because Christ gave up all things for you. That's the gospel. It's the wonderful, beautiful truth of the gospel. And so we come into the church and we start bickering and, well, I would do things this way or I would do that this way. Why don't they do this this way? I would do the music different. I don't know why they do the music that way. I would do the ministry, this ministry, or that ministry differently. I don't like what they're doing. I'm going to take half the church and go somewhere else. And we're going to start a new church right over here. And we're going to call it Lakeview Presbyterian Church. (laughs) And it's just contrary to the gospel. We get so bogged down in the minutia of stuff that doesn't matter that we forget about our Savior Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We must love sacrificially without hesitation and without reservation, not because of the way I act towards you, but because of the way Jesus acted towards you. You love me not because of me, And I can be very unlovable. That's my wife. 
I thought it was funny too. <laughs> but we love others because of the way Jesus has loved us. This is the hope that we have. We have hope in Christ. A hope that is attested to in his word. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we may have hope. What is Paul talking about here? Well, there's some who would say, well, obviously that's the New Testament, right? No. There was no New Testament. Paul was in the process of writing the New Testament. He didn't probably know that. I shall write a testament and I will call it new. That's not what he was doing. But he says here, whatever was written in former days, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's saying, we go to the Old Testament and we find what is true. The Old Testament was written for our instructions. If that is true for Paul, post-Jesus Christ, that is true for us. Yes, we understand that the Old Testament no longer plays the central role of revealing to us the pinnacle of, of the climax of salvation history. Yes, we see that Christ is where we understand that. But we see in the Old Testament the call to bear up under reproach. We see in the Old Testament Christ all over it. And seeing Christ there gives us hope. Hope that enables us to love even as Christ loved. We even have hope in the fact that Paul, and he hasn't quite gotten here yet, but this is where he's getting, that he's talking to both Jew and to Gentile. And this is, is, is part and part a lot of what he's talking about through the whole book of Romans. That the Gentiles have been brought near, that they have been grafted in to the people of God. And so to maintain this hope, we seek unity. Paul here now kind of breaks out into prayer. This kind of spontaneous prayer in the middle of his section here. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. God alone is the source of endurance and encouragement. And, God, and Paul says, may that God that God of endurance and encouragement convey these things to your heart by the working of his spirit that we would be able to be unified to have the same mind not that we're to have the same opinions it doesn't mean that to have the same mind in the church is that we come in here and we all have our list of things that says uh, do you agree with this political affiliation? Yes or no? Do you agree with this color of carpet? Yes or no? Do you agree that we should eat in this part of the church and not in this part of the church? Yes or no? That's not what it's talking about. It's not saying that we don't have differences of opinion. It's saying that we have the same mind, and that is the mind of Christ our Savior. That we are unified under the same faith. 
Unity is important. But it has an even more important object. You need to be unified. You need to be in harmony. You need to be in accord with one another. Why? That you may with one voice glorify God. How can we with one voice glorify God if we're at odds with one another? And if we're at odds with one another and we're failing to glorify God, then guess what? We're failing to glorify God. And that's not good. We are to give glory to God in all that we do. We cannot be consumed with divisions about these non-essentials in the church. It diverts our time and our energy from the mission that we've been given to give glory to God. We are to be about this. So we have to receive one another Paul is bringing, I believe, his ultimate conclusion to this whole section. Why does it matter that we're, we show unity in the church? Why does it matter that we're considerate of one another? Is it because it helps us live good with one another? I think that's part of it, sure, yes. That's part of it. So that we can live well amongst each other. But the ultimate reason, it's not for my sake and it's not for your sake. God has this wonderful way of the way he defined the way he has set things up, that when we're doing what we should be doing towards him, it benefits us all mutually, doesn't it? But it's not the primary goal. The primary goal is the glory of God. We are a family. We are the body. We are the bride of Christ. And we are, to call, we are called to be unified so that we may give glory to God our Father. And the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to do this, verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You must welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. What does that mean? That means that Jesus welcomed you until you did that thing that really annoyed him. And then he was like, you're out. No. That's not what Jesus did. And Paul has told us in Romans what Jesus did. That while you were yet sinners, while you were yet enemies of God, Christ died for your sins. He welcomed you. He loved you. We are those, we make up, the church makes up those who are those who are loved well by Jesus. We are his beloved. And so we are to love one another in order that we may glorify God. Not because or for the sake of each other, but for the sake of him. And we see that in Christ Jesus, we have a hope. A hope that is for all people. Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promise given to the patriarchs. 
Paul is here saying God has fulfilled all that was promised to Abraham. He showed himself to be truthful. He is bringing the gospel to all nations. Verse 9, And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Paul is not going to do something here. He's going to give us some really quick, rapid-fire proof text. Uh, some, Some pastors will do this sometime. I've been guilty of doing this sometimes. Let me show you where else in Scripture I can verify that this is true. He's just told us that the Old Testament is what we need to go for, and he's going to go to the Old Testament for us. And so he does this really quickly. Let me show you how the promises of the patriarchs have been fulfilled. Let me tell you about the Gentiles who are enabled by God to to glorify him. Let me tell you why this is true. Psalm 18, 49. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing among your name. And again, it says in Deuteronomy 32, 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Psalm 117, 1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come from even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Have you noticed what Paul's done here? He has pulled from every part of the Bible. The law, the writings, the prophets. Psalms, Deuteronomy, Isaiah. In essence, I believe he picks the verses he does to show the whole of Scripture is saying the same thing. The gospel is coming for the Gentiles. This is not a new secondary plan. This is the plan that was always meant to be there. The root of Jesse. This messianic title. The one who has come and save and redeem the Jews will also come and redeem and save the Gentiles. And because of him, all the nations, the Gentiles, will extol him. They will rejoice with his people, the Jewish people. They will all praise your name. They will all sing to your name. Paul is... is really drawing the whole of Romans to a conclusion. And he's bringing key elements from out the whole of our text that we've had since the very beginning. The Gentiles now have set their hope in the root of Jesse. Pray to the one who gives you hope that he would fill you with joy and peace. He's talking both here to the weak and to the strong, to the Jew and to the Gentile. He is leaving none out. And he he concludes again with a prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul is urging you through the scriptures, through the Old and the New Testament to pursue joy and peace in the church. He is calling and urging you to pursue joy and peace with one another. And he's asking you, commanding you, telling you that you must 
Do this at the expense of your own preferences, at the expense of your own perceived priorities. Pursue joy and peace. And experience the joys of the kingdom of God. Because Christ, Jesus Christ, is the hope of the nations. He has been and and is and always will be. From the very beginning, from the fall, Eve, you're going to experience pain. You're going to experience pain in childbirth. But from you will come one who will crush the head of the serpent, who will defeat Satan, who will defeat death. It has always been the point of of the word of God for Jesus to come. It all points to Christ. And in Christ, we see the Gentiles being brought in. It doesn't matter if you're weak. It doesn't matter if you're strong. It doesn't matter your nationality. We find our unity. We find our joy. We find our peace in Christ Jesus. Our hope, our hope is in Christ alone. He has delivered you from death into life. He has reconciled you to God. The one we are at odds with, we find this hope in his word, a hope that is for all people. Do you find your hope and joy in Christ Jesus? Do you find your hope and joy in Christ Jesus? If you answer yes to that question, and I pray that you do, then you must, by necessity, seek the good of those sitting next to you. No matter what they say, well, (laughs) non-essentially, if they start attacking Christ, that's a whole other ballgame. But no matter what opinions they may hold, no matter what preferences they may have. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you seeking their good at the expense of your own? Ooh. It's one thing to seek someone else's good. It's another thing to do it at the expense of your own good, isn't it? He's saying, what are you willing to give up for your brother and sister in Christ, knowing what Christ has given up for you. It is a hard, piercing, penetrating question that I worry we fail too often at. The church needs to be what Christ has called it to be. And that is a community of people who believe in the same God, who are seeking to give him glory. And as they seek, as their primary purpose to give him glory, seek to live in unity with one another. Now, maybe we fail at the second because we're doing terrible at the first. Are we seeking the glory of God in all that we do? In every last bit of it.
We do well at this sometimes, but sometimes I think we also fail. Would the God of joy and peace, of endurance, work this out in our hearts? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come and we come to a text like this and I am convicted as I am sure many around me are convicted. Lord, would you foster in this church a desire to glorify you and in doing so seek peace and joy with one another, knowing that we can only do this, as Paul has said, through the working of your spirit. Give us strength beyond our own strength. Give us patience beyond our own patience. Give, it, give us endurance to run the race that you have set before us, we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.